0: Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com and we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com/slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean, the simplest cloud platform out there. And we're excited to share, they now offer dedicated virtual droplets. And unlike standard droplets, which use shared virtual CPU threads, their two performance plans, general purpose and CPU optimized, they have dedicated virtual CPU threads. This translates to higher performance and increased consistency during CPU intensive processes. So if you have build boxes, CI, CD, video encoding, machine learning, ad serving, game servers, databases, batch processing, data mining, application servers, or active front end web servers that need to be full duty CPU all day, every day, then check out DigitalOcean's dedicated virtual CPU droplets. Pricing is very competitive, starting at 40 bucks a month. Learn more and get started for free with a credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog.
1: Chris Benson. Um, We are the podcast that brings AI to you in a practical, productive, and accessible way. I am at NVIDIA's GPU Technology Conference uh, in uh, March 2019, and uh, we have uh, a lot of of world-class people in the AI space here. Um, And uh, normally uh, I would have uh, my co-host Daniel Whitenack joining me. Uh, He was not able to make it this time, uh, but I have the pleasure of introducing to you uh, Adam Stuck. Adam is a graduate student who is studying robotics uh, and deep learning at UC Berkeley Um, and he's really focused on scaling uh, deep reinforcement learning and hierarchical reinforcement learning Um, and so it's a pleasure to have you on the show Adam. Uh, Welcome. All right. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, wanted to, I wanted to note, uh, and we'll dive into it in a few minutes, um, that you had done a talk uh, called Doing More with More Recent Achievements and Large-Scale Deep Reinforcement Learning. But before we dive into the meat of it, could you tell me a little bit about your background, kind of how you got here, how you discovered deep learning and reinf- deep, le- deep le- reinforcement learning, and kind of what your story is? Sure.
2: Uh, I've been working and studying deep reinforcement learning for about four years now as a PhD student um, at UC Berkeley mm-hmm. under my professor, Peter Abil. Uh Previous to that, I had studied physics and mathematics in undergrad. I actually did a master's in, in physics here at UC Berkeley. Uh, and then I was in, in the Air Force at the time, so I was pulled away on active duty. Uh, I was very lucky to uh, land a position at the Air Force Research Lab in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Um, so I kept my technical chops up um, pretty well during this period. And yeah, about four years ago, uh, my time in the Air Force kind of came to a natural end and I, I came back to school and was looking for, for what's hot, what's next. And uh, yeah, the robots caught my eye.
1: So I, I gotta start off by saying a couple of things, uh, connections here. First of all, uh, uh, Daniel is gonna be completely jealous that he's not here because he is a physicist who also came into uh, the AI space as well. So um, he's gonna he's gonna be going, ah, gosh, why did you take it, Chris? Um, so, so sorry, Daniel, on that. Um, and number two, um, being in the Air Force, uh, I, I work for Lockheed Martin uh, in the AI space, and we do a lot of work with uh, with the Air Force. So, um, anyway, I, I guess uh, so. As you as you started, were you already interested in deep learning, reinforcement learning when you were in the Air Force, or did that come along sometime thereafter?
2: Uh, no, this com- this came along after actually. Only once I returned um, to graduate school. Um, okay. What I did get out of my time in in the Air Force uh, was. Just kind of by accident, it became a first exposure to me to a lot of uh, programming and and, and modeling and simulation in order to make... Uh, informed decisions about technologies that we were going to invest in and try to fly uh, sure. in space.
1: What kind of so, tools were you using while you were doing that?
2: Um, in, that in that case, I was uh, programming pretty much entirely in, in MATLAB mm-hmm. and um, a little bit of uh, Excel. Why not?
1: Yep, <laughs> yeah, but that's actually a lot of people I know get into it from that, so mm-hmm. that's that's totally valid.
2: Um, and so yeah, that kind of gave me the first impression of like, wow, this this is really powerful. If you can if you can uh, craft a good simulation and run this program in the computer, it can tell you a lot of important things um, about what's going to happen in, in the Real world, yep. and that was the first thing that kind of kind of turned me on to to this idea. So that when I came back to school, uh, it was a kind of a natural thing to look to so, a computer science department. Yeah, um, so tell me a little bit about that research. process.
1: You, you're out of the air force. You're getting into mm-hmm. school. How did you discover mm-hmm. it? Um, what you know? What what specifics did you get into? Um, how did you find your way eventually to reinforcement learning? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, so I came back to school and I uh, rejoined the physics department um, at Berkeley where I'm actually still technically a member. Okay. Um, but after about a semester and a summer of, of kind of floating around to different research groups and finding a lot of really, really deep and interesting projects going on, uh, but not really getting the personal feeling like that I was finding a place where I wanted to uh, be continuing the work after graduating, you know, doing, doing the PhD in physics still yeah. has, has a really strong draw to me, but I started to look to, to other things to do after graduation and then eventually I decided, well, if I'm gonna do something different after graduating, why don't I get ready to do something different before graduating? And so I started looking a little broader um, and uh, found the robotics work happening kind of across the street. Uh, on the campus there, okay. and, and, and a computer science, so very very lucky to be at, at such a powerhouse uh, research university like like Berkeley, Absolutely. with the hand in so many uh, leading in so many different fields. Um, so yeah, I just kind of went across the street and knocked on the door and said, "said Hey, hey, can I play?" And, uh, <laughs> and uh, a, a, year, a year or two of, uh, of, of basically re-accomplishing an entire set of graduate coursework and projects later, the uh, professor finally says, "Yeah, you know what, Adam? Okay, I, you, you can stay. You can you can do this he, with us." He made you earn your yeah, chops yeah, there, which, didn't he? which is code for I, I can see you're not going away, so I might as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know persistence there you know in, intelligence and all mm-hmm. but uh, you sticking with it there so um so they were a robotic shop at this point that you're moving into
2: that's correct yeah it's a robotic shop um and at the same time uh, it's it's a lot about applying, applying deep learning to robotics. Okay. Um, so kind of my personal path since then has actually been uh, much heavier on the on the deep learning side, and the deep reinforcement learning in particular.
1: And before we even go on, we've mentioned uh, reinforcement learning and deep reinforcement learning several times already. Could you tell us how you would interpret those in, in terms of what they are for anyone that doesn't know what that is?
2: Sure, yeah. Let's start with um, reinforcement learning, which has um, a little bit of a longer... Uh, history and, and kind of pedigree behind it. Uh, it's basically a kind of a, a formal way of doing learning by trial and error. Um, so you've got some sort of task that you're you're trying to figure out how to do. Um, you know what are the different possible, uh, you know, small actions that you can do in order to try to achieve that task, but you don't necessarily know ahead of time what the task is uh, or how to do it. So you just explore, you try things, you the key thing is that you get a signal back from the from the task that's what we call a reward um, when you receive a positive reward, it says, "Oh, you did a good thing, so do that more." When you receive a negative reward, it says, "Oh, you did a bad thing, so do that less." Um, and yeah, based on cueing off of those signals, basically again through trial and error, gradually over make time, an adjustment. You make an adjustment, you try again, uh, and then eventually you can learn to do some some pretty sophisticated tasks through this. So, th- so there's a whole um, yeah mathematical formalism kind of like built up uh, around this that we don't necessarily need to go into the depths of a, of all of all the terms with that, but it's pretty well established um, and the more recent uh, development is deep reinforcement learning mm-hmm. which simply refers to the application of deep learning to reinforcement learning. Uh, deep learning uh, meaning for all practical purposes using deep neural networks.
1: Sure. Um, and and <coughs> at a high level, without diving too deep mm-hmm. on this, can you talk a little bit about how you're applying deep learning to integrate that into reinforcement learning? Is there, uh, is there a, a high enough level to, for, for kind of a and understanding what that integration is without diving too far into the math?
2: Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Um, so one of the uh, uh, key components that you have in, in a reinforcement learning system is the learning, what you would call the learning agent itself. So the learning agent is interacting with the environment uh, which contains the task. Um, and the. the The learning agent is where the deep learning comes in, um, because the learning agent is going to be somehow making use of a deep neural network to express its decision making.
1: Sure. And so this gives performance advantages over what you could previously do with just reinforcement learning, given the fact that there are so many more options available uh, in terms of adjustments that you can make going forward, I assume.
2: That's exactly right, yes. So in terms of the interfaces between the environment and the agent. So the environment provides some some sort of information to the agent that the agent gets to look at and use, and, and we're, ma- we're making its decision of what to do next. And it turns out that uh, deep neural networks basically open up a, a whole new class of environments of much more complicated sets of information that the agent is able to digest in order uh, to figure out what to do next.
1: Sure. So um, I guess, so what, what, as you got into this environment, you're, you're now, you, they, they've, they've accepted you into the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did you do? What captured your imagination as you got into some of your first projects with the group?
2: Um, yeah, I think early on the, the projects that I kind of uh, cued in on the most were some early work uh, out of DeepMind on, on learning to play Atari games um, from scratch using only the screen image yep. as input to, to the learning agent. So in a, in a very similar style to a way that a human would, yeah. would actually operate to, to
1: play the game. So I remember reading about that. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about you know, what that was and how it inspired you to move forward?
2: Um, sure. Yeah. So this was about um, five or five or more years ago. By now, maybe maybe was the first result of, of again playing playing Atari um, from only the screen image. It was, uh, Made a big splash when it came out. There it was, sure there, did. there was a Nature Nature article about it. Cover cover of Nature even. Yeah. So this this went a lot more uh, went. Uh, published a lot more broadly than than the usual like learning only conferences uh, and this sort of thing, um, and then very shortly after that, after the initial success is there uh, with the first algorithm, then another paper comes out with a with a second algorithm, a second learning algorithm that's a little bit different, but is also getting good results, maybe running a little bit faster, uh, and then over the next several years, kind of in, in rapid fire, these 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 teams that came out with the original ones are making little enhancements here, little enhancements there, piling them on, and and before you know it, uh, these learning Algorithms are just completely destroying these Atari games, way, way beyond oh, uh, human, oh, yes. human, <laughs> human level, um, and uh, and it really is just a springboard for for lots of more sophisticated uh, and, and more interesting games. Uh, for instance, to come to come after that.
1: So kind of so so you know, obviously that's been a while since the hmm. the, the Atari. Uh, uh, news that came out in nature and stuff so where did that take you at that point as you're getting into this um mm-hmm. what what captured your interest what did you choose to to do what activities mm-hmm. in, from in terms of research did you want to engage in um what was that journey like because a lot of us uh out here who are very interested may not have had that experience and I'm just uh, mm-hmm. very curious about how that evolved to where you are today with the talks that you're giving at this mm-hmm. point
2: Yeah, I think it actually ended up um, in combination with a certain course that I was taking on uh, parallel computing. Uh, It actually led me down the path of uh, scaling up implementations of deep reinforcement learning. So taking an algorithm, okay, this algorithm is like shown to work and here's how we run it. Maybe we're running it on a small computer and it takes five or ten days to do one learning run and to yeah. see the thing go from losing every point in Pong to winning every point in Pong. Say, OK, this is exciting. This is working. This is something we've got, like, something real to go on here. Mm-hmm. Now now let's refine it and 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 scale it up and uh, adjust it to make much better use of the computers that are available um, today. And uh, I mean, long story short, that has a lot to do with why I'm here at GTC.
1: Uh, <laughs> yep, I, well, we're working our way there. <laughs> 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 so you, you, you mentioned already the compute uh, mm-hmm. being a huge limitation, mm-hmm. and obviously we are at NVIDIA GTC where, uh, where it's all about compute in uh, so many things. Um, so I guess you know, what, what bridged you? you know, th- today you did this talk, uh, doing more with more recent achievements in large-scale deep reinforcement learning. What kinds of things are you covering in that, and, uh, and you know, what was the evolution to get to that point? And and what were the what were some of the the milestones that you went through along the way to get to where you're at now?
2: Sure, I think um, some of the uh, early steps started out with um, just taking a kind of an, an in-house uh, algorithm, reinforcement learning algorithm that we had, and identifying kind of the key pieces in, in a way that the algorithm could be broken down to operate in parallel over. Uh, more compute resources. So okay. instead of just one CPU core running the computation or whatever, maybe you can use all the CPU cores in the machine, 16 of them um, running in, in parallel in a, in a smart way that gets you 16 times faster yes. you know, to the answer. Um, and so uh, this was kind of how, how, how I started uh, was just with one example kind of algorithm like this uh-huh. uh, and just a lot of practice of figuring out how to set that up, how to how to set that up on a computer and get it to run and actually get the efficiency out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you hadn't even gotten to the GPU world yet. Hadn't <laughs> even gotten to the <laughs> GPU world, no, no. Um, and then, let's see, with this, I actually took a little, once once we had this running up and running smoothly, took a little detour through, uh, through actually an, an Intel Knight's Landing Uh, development kit that we bought so a CPU based uh, architecture but with maybe 60 or 70 cores Uh that that, uh, we could successfully parallelize across Um, but ended up uh, finding in the end that no, really, uh, it the GP- wasn't quite up to what you needed. Wasn't was quite it? up to what we needed, and really, the really the there's no way around it. Like the GPU was was the, was the way to go.
1: So so at what point, uh, you know, how long ago was that where you realized you needed to go GPUs and you started uh, grabbing those because you realized that you were you were limiting yourself until you could speed up your training.
2: Yeah, I think by now this was uh, maybe, maybe about two years ago yep. or so. So it was, a, it was a bit of a journey. Uh, yeah, starting, starting on the GPUs about two years ago, and then about one year ago kind of wrapping up the project um, and more or less having it in shape.
1: So uh, one of the things I, I, I was thinking as you were taking me through this, what, what, was, what were you trying to achieve with some mm-hmm. of these projects? As you're, as you're doing these experiments um, and, and, and carrying it forward, what was your end goal in mind? What were mm-hmm. you trying to get to?
2: Yeah. So the main the main project that I uh, was working on over this period was was really just, uh, man, we had a, a need for speed. We we're just <laughs> we we're just gonna explore these these deep learning these deep reinforcement learning algorithms and see how fast how fast can we learn one Atari game. Yeah. and and see, see what kind of records we, we can't set and and, other, and otherwise blow out of the water. Um, so it turns out that a lot of the same techniques for parallelism that were useful in the CPU setting, the same principles applied in the GPU setting sure. for using multiple GPUs inside of one computer to, to run the algorithm. Um, so about the same time that I was setting down that path anyway, uh, we were very uh, lucky enough to, to have um, NVIDIA Come by and, and and donate actually a DGX one uh, as part of their university research support. That's a great donation, uh, you know. Yes, That's the kind yes. of donation I want yes. right there. Um, so yeah, this is a really fortunate uh, moment for us and good and good timing for me as as about the time I was getting into this anyway. And my advisor says, hey, hey Adam, we've got this DGX one and. Uh, well, here you go. <laughs> go, 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 go. Go to it. Go to it. Exactly. Here's the first AI supercomputer. And, uh, have at it. Have at, exactly. And so I couldn't couldn't say no to that. I mean didn't want to say no to that. <laughs> no, of but course not. Couldn't say no to That's that. That's Christmas and, and, right and, there. And, and then couldn't stop once I yep. once I once I started either. Um, so
1: I am guessing you it was speeding up your process a little bit there, you know, to oh. go from CPUs. Uh, straight and you had, it sounds like you didn't have an in between. Did you go straight from CPU all the way to using DGX one? Just like that, or was um, there any inter- inter- intermediate steps along the way? Um, no,
2: that's right. We pretty much just went straight to <laughs> straight to the to the D G X. Wow, um, um,
1: that's like stepping out. That's up. like stepping out of this old jalopy car and getting right into the Lamborghini and just going. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't>, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm just curious. Uh, you know. Uh, it's non-trivial to uh, you, you have to kind of to learn how to use a DGX one. Um, they suddenly plopped one into your lap um, and said, "Hey, make use of this thing." And and you know, what was the were you already familiar with um, with containerization and Kubernetes and things, or was there a learning curve for you to to get ready to use the the box, or what was that like to make yes, that transition? The, the,
2: there was a little bit of a learning curve, um, and so at this point, I was already. Pretty familiar with the deep learning, the particular deep learning library that we were using, uh, which at this time was Theano. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily enough, about the same time, Theano um, released support for uh, Nickel, so NVIDIA's uh, collective communication library, yep. which is for um, direct interconnects between the GPUs within the DGX One for mm-hmm. very fast operations, um, very fast communication. Sorry. Um, and so, yeah, the learning curve was mainly around, okay, I already am familiar with this deep learning library, but let's see how to plug it into use for multiple GPUs. This was a pretty new thing uh, at that time, about two years ago. And so there wasn't really built-in support for Theon- for, from Theano for yep. multi-GPU use. There was some kind of preliminary stabs at that, but what I ended up doing was Kind of writing, writing our own libraries for the for the parallel processing aspects. Sure. Um, and then and then yeah, again, luckily having the Theano guys expose an interface to this Nickel, this communications library to tie the multiple GPUs uh,
1: together in, in the most efficient way possible based on the NVIDIA hardware
2: that was inside.
1: Gotcha. Um, and I guess were you already in the middle of a particular uh, project when the DGX one came into into the picture, or was that did you kind of pick it up as you picked up a new project? And move forward
2: uh, no I think looking back on it I hadn't really thought about this before but it was just incredibly fortunate timing because I was already I was already on this project had already been tinkering around with the with the night's landing for some time and was ready to, to move on for that and, 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 and move to GPUs um, and so no it just like the timing couldn't couldn't have been better it, it would when, just when this it came happened. In. Oh, that sounds
1: fantastic so um, I guess uh, as you're making this transition how are you so you now have this DGX one uh, that's, that's been gifted to you and they're saying, go do stuff with it. What What's going through your head? What kind of projects are you thinking about? You're now into deep mm-hmm. reinforcement learning, I assume, at this point mm-hmm. um, and you have the power to drive that forward. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking and what kinds of projects have you taken on over the last couple of years to, to take advantage of that?
2: Um, yeah, so I mean, Uh, Again, a lot of the work at the beginning was just uh, scaling out the reinforcement learning itself, taking existing algorithms and showing, uh, discovering that they can be scaled up to run on the entire system so that we could use all eight GPUs and all 40 CPU cores within a DGX1 to learn a single Atari game and get basically linear speed ups with that. So instead of taking uh, 10 or 15 hours to master Pong, uh, you know, we're getting it to like four minutes.
1: Yep. (laughs) <laughs> or so, uh, which was That which, probably helped your productivity a little helps bit. The productivity. Go get a cup it of does. coffee and you come back and it's done. You come back and it's done and then there you, you can
2: iterate and and, and and try the next thing. Um, and, and that was actually, I think, a, a pretty interesting finding um, because one of the, the key techniques to scaling up to using multiple GPUs that we also see across a lot of other scaling um, efforts is increasing the training batch size. So how many in, in, the, in this... Uh, there might be a couple points where we need to stop back here and make some definitions, but um, when training these neural networks,
1: we often use this algorithm called stochastic gradient descent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, can you define that for the audience uh, loosely?
2: Sure can, sure can. So basically, you're going to have um, some way that you want to change the Um, outputs, uh, change the behavior of the neural net, which is this decision-making function inside your reinforcement learning agent, Um, and you're going to change it based on experience that you have in the game. Um, But instead of uh, making updates on all the possible experience that you could gather, you'll gather like a little bit of experience at a time, and then make a small adjustment. And then gather a little bit of experience at a time, and make a small adjustment.
0: This episode is brought to you by a Rally Open Source Conference in Portland, Oregon, July 15th through 18th. We'll be there, by the way. As you know, OzCon has been ground zero for the open source community for 20 years. And this year, they're expanding to become a software development conference. Because in 2019, software development is open source. At OzCon, you get to see what's shaping the future of software development. The program covers everything from open source, AI, infrastructure, blockchain, edge computing, architecture, and emerging language. Here from industry leaders like Holden Caro, Rupa Daughtry, Julian Simon, and Allison McCully. Learn more and register at oscon.com slash changelog. Prices start at just $925 when you register before April 19th. After that, the price is going to go up. Plus, you can use our code changelog20 to get 20% off your bronze, silver, or gold passes. Once again, our code is changelog20 and head to oscon.com changelog to learn more and register.
1: Okay, so having defined stochastic gradient descent, um, take us forward on that.
2: Okay, so so the next step into making stochastic gradient descent run more efficiently on on a GPU, which is itself a a highly parallel computing platform, is uh, one way to do this is to increase the training batch size. So, increase the amount of experience that you gather and use together each time you're going to make a slight adjustment to this decision making function. Um, And that gives you full. Utilization of this GPU, which is kind of like a, a fat and wide com- computing pipe. Yep. Um, and if you want to make full use of eight GPUs, then you need to have an eight times bigger training batch size in your in your algorithm, um, because you need to fill up all eight of those GPUs in, a way, in order to run them efficiently. Um, so it was a pretty interesting finding that that we found that we were able to. Um, scale up the training batch size even in a game as, as simple as Pong all the way to the point where we're making efficient use of, of eight GPUs in, in the full machine and we're getting we're getting good linear linear scaling where you're learning the game Basically eight times as fast when using when using eight GPUs
1: So it, it, I know at some point NVIDIA is working on some of the same problems You know as they as they're learning to, to get the parallelism of, of uh, the capacity out there so that you can take advantage of all the GPUs um, Are were you still are you still using uh, the code that you wrote? To, to handle that or have you switched over to some of the stuff that Nvidia was producing I, I had the same experience working it at, uh, at a prior employer where some of the things that we needed to do was out ahead of any release and stuff so we had a kind of a similar problem did, did have you just stuck with with the code that you wrote to accomplish that or yeah so
2: far for new projects that i have been working on that aren't focused on scaling RL but doing other doing other learning experiments yeah, yeah exactly we're using the the same code base that that we established um, before during, during the scale-up project so, so far the new projects we've been running, um, it's interesting, you end up running uh, many different experiments in order to uh, see you know what is working and what is not working. So in in the end an efficient way to run is actually to use only a single GPU, but maybe stack multiple different experiments running on the same computer, each gotcha. one on a separate GPU. Um, and so we had kind of like baked that into our, our code base anywhere where it was flexible. You could either throw all eight GPUs at one problem or have each of the eight GPUs running a separate problem and you have like many different settings that you're trying to test anyway.
1: Uh, and so either way in the end you you, you get a good turnaround of results. Gotcha so now that we've kind of gotten up to more or less you know the, 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 the more recent past and you're now using uh, dGX1 and and you have these great tools available to you um, and and you know to kind of come full circle back to your talk today um, um, as you as you talked about and I quote recent achievements in large-scale deep reinforcement learning what things did you cover in your talk um, what kinds of things uh, is, is useful so you know some of our listeners out there uh, are using dGX1 DGX uh, and other equipment from other companies as well. Um, What what are the learnings that you found that that are going to help us along there in terms of recent achievements?
2: Sure. So most of the projects that I talked about uh, earlier today were um, to do with um, uh, large-scale research projects happening at uh, other organizations such as like uh, Google DeepMind, uh, in London, and uh, OpenAI here mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Some really, really impressive recent achievements coming out of those places. Which can is you of, share
1: some of those achievements from each uh, that you talked about? Certainly
2: can, yeah. So kind of building on this like foundations that happened under the Atari experiments over the last several years, now there's uh, new results coming out in other domains uh, to include Dota 2, StarCraft 2, um, a, a version of Capture the Flag that's uh, in an actual like first-person action, uh, you know, 3D uh, game style. Yep. Um, so it's uh, really exciting to see a lot of more like sophisticated. Uh, video games that are actually interesting and and still maybe like addictive for humans to play today yeah. uh, that are now being being tackled and, and and solved by by these learning agents
1: yeah the the Starcraft 2 uh, work really captured the my imagination and, and those of some friends of mine mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about that just in terms of the the uh, just the, the uh, this field is leaping forward so fast as you talked about you know going from pong going to 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 managing games at that level uh, Mm. with with this technology and doing that. Um, What, I guess, uh, tell us a little bit more about, you know, DeepMind and OpenAI and how that's influenced you. Um, yeah, sure. So I was, I was fortunate enough to,
2: to do an internship, a research internship at DeepMind over the last fall. Um, so I had some firsthand exposure to some of their techniques and their, their working cool. methods and, and, and such. Um, uh, I'm not going to say anything that isn't uh, publicly. Uh, uh, of course not. Uh, we, uh, we, we would never ask anyway. you that. Um, <laughs> So I got to be careful about that. Um, but yeah, no, it was a wonderful experience to see um, uh, the whole organization from, from top to bottom. Amazing resources in terms of people, amazing resources in terms of, of, of compute. Um, and it's no, it no wonder, once, you, once you're inside the door, it's no wonder the, the amazing things that are coming out.
1: So I, of the things that are publicly known now, mm-hmm. what was the coolest thing that you experienced there um, mm-hmm. while you were doing that internship that, that you can share with us?
2: Yeah, I think the thing that was that was the coolest for me, um, again, was kind of the combination of these two factors. I just saw the, the the people and and the compute resources, and both of those organized well in the same place. So, I actually, was sitting next to uh, much of the StarCraft Two team. Really, when they were in the heat of their development um, last fall. Oh, that's and, cool. In the run up to these like professional matches, and so I just like. I, I wasn't personally involved on that on that particular project, um, but I just you know heard heard a lot of background chatter. from <laughs> ears. Looking so, over their so, shoulders, so, saw the very intense meetings going on. Saw yeah. people scrambling to get presentations together for the meetings with their latest developments and learning curves and everything. Saw people uh, you know debating about uh, how, how much how much computer they were going to use, whether they were going to like uh, bring down you know all Google Cloud or something like that. Uh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that uh, would be a bad things, moment like, this, there it you know? would, would be a bad moment yeah um, <laughs> um, so it was, yeah, it was just, like, really amazing to see this, this great uh, organization of really interested and, and generally excited like researchers working together in this, in this, in this team environment that was like very uh, uh, very I don't know it's, it's like professional and eager
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about OpenAI you mentioned that a moment ago mm-hmm. what, what, what are some of the things that they have, uh, have been doing that have inspired you
2: yeah, and OpenAI also has a very exciting project going on with a slightly different different game, um, Dota 2, uh, which I think is even more popular and widespread than than StarCraft 2. Um, I think I read something on, on their blog about maybe the annual winnings of uh, eSports contest in Dota 2 is like $40 million uh, a wow. year or so. Um, yeah, so this game is <laughs> happening. some real money there. This game is happening. There's real money. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, yeah. Th- likewise, they have like a totally independent branch, a very different approach, um, and their 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 own run to to train an agent to play at a professional level um, in a very complicated uh, environment such as these games.
1: So so it sounds like pretty amazing experiences to be exposed to that. Um, where do you see yourself going? Is there stuff that you're working on now that you can share or, or things that you have in mind for the future um, and, and, you know, kind of what you want to do specifically?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of projects that I've been working on recently um, that are kind of, uh, I think, are interesting. Um, one of them actually is working towards... Um, uh, real-world applications of reinforcement learning. So it's very exciting, all this development that is uh, happening in these video games. Um, but obviously, we're, we're not developing reinforcement learning to, to play the games better. We're well, to we are could be, but we're, we're, we're not. We maybe. could be, but we're learning to play the games better to develop yes. reinforcement learning, uh, maybe, maybe for other things. Um, so I think another really exciting result that came out recently is in um, job scheduling, which is like managing parallel computing resources. Um, so I'll, I'll give a shout out to to another uh, group, Hungsi uh, Mao uh, from MIT, is the first author on a paper that came out in the fall um, to do with the reinforcement learning for uh, job scheduling on data clusters okay. under under the Apache Spark um, setup. So and so this, we this could, is, we'll
1: include a link to that in the show notes as well for people okay. to go reference.
2: Great. Um, and yeah, this is really really exciting work to see reinforcement learning applied to a real world problem like this scheduling hundreds or thousands of CPUs basically um, under diverse workloads um, from from multiple users. And they, they did a really nice job of laying out. Okay, here's a couple of like heuristic job scheduling algorithms that you might have for you know for deciding which computing tasks need to run on which system, which CPU, and like when. Um, they they have some. Really nice like heuristics that they that they use, and then also some more advanced but recent like handcrafted algorithms, and then they show deep reinforcement learning, of course, taking the cake and blowing <laughs> them all out of the water.
1: Um, it's a really beautiful thing to see. So, so where where do you think we're going next in in terms of applying uh, deep reinforcement learning? To robotics, um, hmm. and, you know this field. Both of those individually are moving so fast now. Hmm. Um, what do you, you know, do a little fortune telling for us and, hmm. and and lay out what you think the what what, what you think we're going to see uh, in the in the near term or maybe even the longer term? Uh, be a little speculative.
2: Okay, sure. Um, I mean, I think we're already seeing interesting robotics results coming out of like OpenAI, for instance. Uh, they had a blog post recently on learning dexterity, where they had a robotic hand which could manipulate a cube and very 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 Human-like uh, looking ways, um, trained entirely on reinforcement learning, using basically the same algorithm and setup as they used for Dota 2, um, which is really cool to see this this uh, techniques kind of uh, crossing into new applications. Um, but I think definitely robotics is 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 a, is a very very ripe field for for application. Um, where obviously there's so many things that are gonna that could be enabled. Where like not only is the hardware getting there and in, in, in place, but man, it's really hard to it's just really hard to like hand program these things um, to do any to do interesting activities in new environments and new places that they haven't seen before. And like learning is is definitely gonna be the way to to get behaviors out of robots that generalize to new scenarios that will let them roam. For in the world and, and be be useful and, and safe.
1: So so uh, uh, do you, do you dare to put any any timeframes around when we'll see different levels of that out there or are, uh, am I am I getting too Ooh. out there? Ooh. Yeah. No, <laughs> the look on his face. Gonna. By the way, you can't see it listening to this, but but he was like, oh god, I just I just poured poured uh, gas on the fire right there. Uh, Maybe what we can do is I'll just record five years.
2: Ten years, fifteen <laughs> years, and then we can go back later depending and, and on which one was right. There you go. Was edited in. How about that? Fair
1: <laughs> enough. I, I had to try there. So uh, a lot of people that listen are 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 kind of getting into it. You know, we we have a lot of people that are practitioners, but we also have a lot of people out there that are in the technology world, academic world, business world, who are trying to figure out how they're going to move into this space. And mm-hmm. as someone who is who is you know ramped up, done that. Uh, understands what 's necessary to be productive in the world, mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you have for people uh, in a couple of different scenarios um, uh, if they're if they're in a business and they're, and they may have a, a data science team or something or a mm-hmm. group of developers and they're wanting to to, to uh, kind of retrain in reinforcement learning deep reinforcement learning, and maybe even robotics that might be an application they're get, that they 're interested in. What, what would you, first of all, for that, that kind of personality out there in the real world, so to speak, wh- what should they be thinking about? How should they start making a transition to take advantage of these technologies at this point? Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think one, one possible way to, to approach this, uh, taking on a new field like this uh, that I think could be productive, is to uh, take the time to practice it and, and do it. And do it yourself. So there's starting to be more and more implementations of these deep reinforcement learning algorithms available out there on the internet. Um, GitHub, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm sure is, is, is full of them. Um, I mean, I just released uh, the code for Excel, XLRL, my project for scaling up on the DGX one is now out uh, on, on GitHub. So and of course, we can, we'll add a link, so to, that link to that into the show notes there. there. OK, so this is one such example. Um, but really taking the time to, OK, you know, read, read off of those, but implement it yourself make yourself rewrite it from scratch um, and and run it and, and get all the way to the point where you're recreating the learning curve that is published in the literature. Because a lot of what happens with this work is, you know, there's like so many programming concepts that are, are uh, not too difficult to understand mainly and get in place, but there can be lots of little bugs and lots of little gotchas. And maybe you didn't tune this hyperparameter just right. Or maybe there's a detail that's Uh, a little bit obscured in the paper, and maybe isn't as revealed as clearly, you know, as as could have been, and so you need to go back and reference someone else's implementation to say, oh, that number needs to be 0.25 instead of 1.25, and suddenly it Suddenly it works now. Oh, this is new. So get, make yourself go through all the stages basically from scratch to reproducing the learning curve that you see in, in, the, in the literature. And then, then you'll know that you're, that you're doing the, the full stack.
1: Gotcha. And, and I'm going to ask for one other use case that's hmm. probably some, some commonality between them. Hmm. But if you are uh, a student. Uh, maybe in high school now and you're looking at trying to figure out what you're going to do as you go into uh, your first university experience and uh, you know what would you advise uh, that you know 16 17 18 year old kid who's ready to um, say hey I think this might be what I want to do and they have the advantage of of going through schooling and, and taking advantage of, you know they're not out there in the world yet mm-hmm. what would you advise them to do how kind of track should they be thinking about
2: um, yeah, definitely taking uh, as many of the computer science and programming classes as you can. Um, being a being a good programmer is definitely a, a plus in this field. Um, but if you're really trying to get into learning research, um, it's uh, actually not, not always uh, fully necessary. Like there's there's a lot of uh, Uh, things to know about learning theory uh, and such that you could also get involved in a lot of mathematics a lot of statistics Um, um, so yeah I would say yeah try to take early on take take a broad approach because a a different sub area within within this whole like learning field of learning might might grab your attention and before you know it you've gone a year or
1: two deep into a certain subtopic and then you realize oh this is the part that I really want to do okay well, this has been fascinating. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I guess as, as people want to reach out to you, uh, make contact with you, uh, you know, where are you on you social media? How, would you, how do you like to interact with people out there in the world?
2: Um, yeah, sure. That's easy. You can find me, um,
1: either on Facebook or, uh, old fashioned, uh, email can do the trick uh, as well. All right. <laughs> okay, and we'll include those as well. Um, so thank you very much. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, you really made the, the, the thought of getting into deep reinforcement learning accessible. Um, and thanks for doing that and sharing with us and, I appreciate the time.
2: Good. Yeah. Invite anyone who wants to, to come in and, and jump on the field. It's exciting times.
0: Will do.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you
0: all right thank you for tuning into this episode of practical ai if you enjoyed this show do us a favor go on itunes give us a rating go in your podcast app and favorite it if you are on twitter or a social network share a link with a friend whatever you gotta do share the show with a friend if you enjoyed it and bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com. and we catch our ears before our users do here at changelog because of rollbar check them out at robot.com slash changelog and we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to linode.com changelog. Check them out. Support this show. This episode is hosted by Daniel Whitenack and Chris Benson. The music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com. When you go there, pop in your email address. Get our weekly email keeping you up to date with the news and podcasts for developers in your inbox every single week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, you have won again, yes. That's why you listen all the way to the end of the shows, because we give you previews of what's coming up, and as you may have guessed, we have another preview of our upcoming show called Brain Science. This podcast is for the curious. It explores the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the human condition. This show is hosted by myself, Adam Stokoviak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's brain science applied not just how does the brain work, but how do we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives? Here we go. My wife and I, we've learned this this concept of goodwill, right? Yeah. It, I can take your feedback or your criticisms in a different light if, if I know that you have goodwill for me. Yep. May, meaning that you're not trying to harm me, that you are for me, not against me. And sometimes change, as we all know, is painful and can be painful. So sometimes the necessary feedback and or criticism that can influence that change can also be painful. But I can accept it differently if I know... Right. That she or they or whomever is in the scenario with me has goodwill for me, you know, whereas yeah. if you know that they're not for you, then you obviously take it a whole different way. And that's that's an OK thing. But we often are you know, in relationship with people that are giving us crucial feedback and we need to have that kind of that lens like it was significant in our marriage to understand, hey, I know there are times when you give me feedback. I am not happy about it, but <laughs> But I know you have goodwill for me. So therefore, I calm down. I listen. I, yeah. you know, I take that in and I process it, whatever. But I take it in a different way because I know that she's for me and not against me.
3: Yep. One of the key things when it comes to change is a sense of openness and even relationally, like of going, I need to be able to see some how somebody else responds or how they're feeling as based on their perspective of what they're going through and not just my perspective of their perspective. And so this goodwill is like, I believe that we're on the same side and that you're not trying to make it harder for me. But so I can understand if I were sitting where you were sitting, had the background that you had, why you would have taken it in that way. And then I can provide an opportunity to clarify or create more connection, even when it doesn't feel good. And I I honestly think this is so much of what's missing in people's relationships. If I look at relational interactions through uh, the notion of conditioning, wherein I get a sort of hit of dopamine, feel-good feelings because I went to a person, I had a conversation that didn't necessarily feel good, but there was openness on both parties to hear one another's perspective, that it actually then reinforces like oh when I go and I have this exchange with people I feel better so now I'm going to go and engage with other people and get the feedback even if I might not like the feedback because now I'm buffered and I'm not alone in this and I somebody else sees my world
0: that's a preview of brain science if you love where we're going with this send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released email us at editors at changelaw.com in the subject line put in all caps brain science with a couple bangs if you're really excited you can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed head to changelog.com slash master or search in your podcast app for changelog master you'll find it subscribe get all of our shows and even those that only hit the master feed again changelog.com slash master